If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And guess what? It's free. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Our stories are what make us unique, but they're also what connect us as human beings. It's time to stop talking and start listening. This is You Talk, I'll Listen with Shannon Chapman. Okay, y'all, let's go back. I'm not going to say the year. But it was circa eighth or ninth grade for me. And what are two of the many songs that my friends and I were singing at the time? One was Let Me Love You Down and The Second Time After Time. So flash forward to today. Who knew that 24 years later, I would be hosting a podcast with the singer of those songs as my guest? The world knows her as I Know Jay, an amazing singer-songwriter and a so-so-deaf OG. Today, we're going to get to know Ayana as she tells her story and shares her experience of almost losing the ability to do what she loves to do. Yanni, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Shannon. It's good to be on. Thank you for the opportunity to share my story. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm excited to hear it. (laughs) Was singing something that you always wanted to do? Yeah, I don't know that there was a time that I never thought I wouldn't sing. So from the time I was um, in the crib, according to my parents, I've been singing. I was um, a night owl, as I still am, and um, I couldn't go to sleep. So they put a radio in my room and just had music playing all night. and. I started singing the songs I was hearing, you know, even before I was able to really talk. So I think it's just a part of who I am. How did you manage to break into the industry? Because that's not an easy industry to get into. Well, I've had two major record deals. So I guess you could say I broke in twice. <laughs> I was in a singing group um, when I was at Morgan State University. And um, we got a record deal with Dallas Austin. So I was signed in, in a group. And of course, you know, with all good groups, sometimes they come to an end. And that's what happened with the group I was in. I was actually just holding on to this group. I really believed in the group and everybody wanted to do something different. And I didn't. So I was in my feelings about that. And I decided that I wouldn't sing anymore, not as an artist, just as a writer. And one of the group members um, said, hey, I have this producer. You need to meet him. You guys would be a great writing team together. So I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So we're writing songs together. We hit it off right away. 
I think Little John was getting ready to put out So So Deaf Bass All-Stars Volume 2. So Charles asked me, hey, do you know how to write bass music? And I was like, I don't even know what bass music is. <laughs> and um, he was like, booty shake. I was like, oh, okay. So <laughs> I said, well, let me listen to the song that you want me to, to write a song like or something like that. And he's like, um, yeah, it's a song called My Boo. So I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard the song. So he told me that was bass and kind of explained to me. And I was like, it sounds like a regular song over a fast beat to me. So he was like, yeah, just write like that. So I wrote this song and um, Little John heard it. He he really liked the song a lot. And he said, um, ask her if she'll demo the song for me. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I heard it. Love you down. I was like, oh, yeah, I know. Love you down. I couldn't listen to that when I was younger. My mom wouldn't let me listen to Ready for the World. But I do know that song. So you said eighth grade. I was like, yeah, I know that story. I record Love You Down. It was not for me. It was for another artist. I can't think of the artist's name, but um, this bird is just going crazy. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, that's my song. That's my song. Yeah, so I record the, the demo of the song. And I remember talking to my boyfriend at the time, and I was like, that would be crazy if they actually wanted me to do it. He was like, would you do it? I was like, nope, because I'm not going to be an artist right now. And um, that we kind of left it at that. So, of course, they get the demo of the song. And he said, now, Charles is a Caucasian producer. And, of course, I am melanated. So, little John says to him, she white or black? And Charles was laughing. He said, both. And I said, <laughs> okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but that was a running joke about me. Because nobody could really tell what color I was when I sang. Actually, I'm not a color, so we'll get into that later, perhaps. (laughs) But so in any event, he liked the song and he wanted me to record it. And I said, I'm not going to be an artist right now. He's like, you know what? You don't have to be an artist. You can record it. You can choose a different name, whatever you want to do. We just think that you sound really good on the song and we won't release it as a single. And I said, all right. And then he said, we'll pay you $5,000. I was like, "Okay, I can do it. I mean, that's a lot of money for one song, you know, especially it's like three minutes and some seconds. So I recorded the song and Lil John came to see me in D.C. where I was. He's like, um, so what's your name going to be? And I was like, hmm, well, Yanni's my nickname. And I said, I'll just spell Yanni backwards. And he was like, I nod. I was like, no, it looks just like I know Jay. So we'll just call it I know Jay. And that's how I got the name I know Jay. Everything, every decision I made was just to keep my, not really my identity, but just so I could have something for myself if I really wanted it. Because this wasn't the music that I chose, it was the music that chose me. And I kind of liken it to Dorothy going to see the Wiz, and then she gets there and the house falls on the lady. And then these shoes are right there. And I was like, oh, it's an opportunity. You don't reject the opportunity from the universe. So I put on the shoes and I did what was necessary. And I've been really blessed as a result of it. So that's how I broke in. <laughs> and you guys know the outcome, but the song wasn't released. A couple of people heard the song, I guess, on the compilation. And it just went viral before, you know, we had a viral type of name for it. So that's how I got here. What was the feeling that you had when you first heard your music, like on the radio? Fear, nervousness, embarrassment, anxiety, etc. <laughs> I can be very shy um, with those type of matters. I don't like a lot of attention. 
I mean, I like to sing and I like to perform, but I don't, that's too much. It's too much for me. So I was teaching school at the time. So I literally went from teaching school to getting a call. We were in the last week of school, you know, school in Maryland gets out in June. They're like, can you be down here two weeks to film a music video? And I was like, a video for what? They're like, your song is blowing up. I was like, what? Oh, I mean, I was stressed hearing that. And then he said, oh, yeah, and you have a, a show in um, Toronto. Like, a show? I'm teaching kids over here. I mean, I'm teaching music and math, but I'm not performing. I didn't perform by myself. I always performed with the group. I was so scared. The whole process was very scary for me. So when um, I get to Atlanta, the stylist and everybody that was coming over to consult how I was going to look in this video, <laughs> we're in the hotel and we're listening to the radio and it comes on the radio and I heard it, the beginning of it. And my stomach was like, <laughs> I had like so many butterflies. I was like, there's no place to go. We're in a hotel room. So they were like, that's your song. And I ran in the bathroom and I shut the door. And they were like knocking on the door. Why are you in there? Come on, this is your song. You should hear it. I was like, I can hear it fine enough through the door. <laughs> because I couldn't take all the eyes on me. You know what I'm saying? So th that feeling of hearing your song on the radio was different for me. I know a lot of people like on um, the Five Heartbeats, they were dancing, pushing the broom and doing everything else. That was not my experience. <laughs> I mean, I was happy. Yeah, I definitely was happy. I was excited. But I just didn't know how to handle this new um, attention that I was getting. So what were your goals? Maybe it wasn't your intention to become noticed. What were your goals? Well, here's the thing. It's funny that you use that word intention. Because I believe that we can set intentions even at very young ages. And I was very intentional about saying writing down, hey, when I grow up, I'm going to be a singer. I always knew it. I won a lot of talent shows. I won a lot of um, different contests. They had, like, I won the Annie Lookalike contest, and I don't look a thing like Annie. But I sounded like Annie. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of those things, I, re I always knew that I had a musical gift, and I, I always wanted to pursue it. And when it came in the form of a singing group, I thought, oh, this is it. I didn't necessarily intend to go solo because being in a group gives you a certain amount of security and padding that you don't have to be seen by yourself. <laughs> you know, if something goes wrong in a group, you can blame it on three other people. <laughs> but if it's just you by yourself, if it goes right, it's you. If it goes wrong, it's you. And yeah, that part. I don't say that I liked as far as singing, but I definitely wanted to be a singer. So yeah, my goal was to be a singer and I made that goal. Sometimes I'm just realizing that, like you did what you said you were going to do. <laughs> I have new goals now though, you know, as far as music. I've never had a number one song. It was very close. I would like to have that experience. So at some point in your career, you had a health scare. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think 2005. 2004 is when I kind of found out something was going on with me. I was at my chiropractor and um, he said, hey, you have this lump on your neck. And I said, really? I said, I just had a physical this week and she didn't say anything about it. I'm like, that's kind of weird. 
So I asked about it and they said, oh, it's it's nothing. If you start feeling any pain or anything, we'll kind of look into it later and you can come back and let us know. So since my doctor, because I went back to her, she didn't have any problem with it. I just kind of kept going on with life. Well, I just had my daughter in 2003. So she was a little bit over one and um, the lump was getting bigger and it was kind of compressing my throat. It was hard to laugh, swallow, you know, breathe sometimes. So they said, let's go ahead and get some fine needle biopsies so we can rule out cancer. And I had seven of them and all of them came up benign, but the lump was still there. So um, I talked to a couple different surgeons, you know, because you're supposed to get a first and second opinion. And the second one, the top rated EMT or laryngeal surgeon in Atlanta, he worked for newscasters, all of these other people, he came highly recommended. He said, I believe you need to get the surgery because in my experience, sometimes you find cancer behind, you know, the area, you know, you might not be able to access it with a needle. So I'm like, dang, I've had seven of these. At least one of them would have, you know, come up if that was the case. But then this one and a half year old, I was like, if it is, then I will potentially leave my daughter without a mother. So um, I made the choice to have the surgery. And um, he said a couple of different things to kind of scare me into the decision, if I'm being honest. It wasn't um, a fully developed thought of my own. It had a lot of influence. So I felt good about him. He listened to me. He listened to my concerns. In his meeting he had with me, he said, you want to use me because there is something called, and this is a key part, the superficial laryngeal nerve. And most people are not gentle enough to work around it. But I have never, he said, I have never damaged anyone's surgery. So I should have known right there that was something. Because when people do that, it's almost like that little foreshadow in the movie. And you start hearing that little music and something. I try to be careful about using absolutes because I don't want to prove them wrong. But he said never. So when I tell you I sing all the time, I get on people's nerves. I do. I sing all the time. I always have. When I worked, I was singing at my desk. Just People were like, hey, you're singing. I was like, oh, I didn't even know. So on the table going into the surgery, I was singing. I can't remember what I was singing to tell you the truth. But they were people that were wheeling me in there. She's like, she's just singing and happy. And I was like, yeah, because I know this is going to be for my highest good. And um, when I came out, I could not talk, let alone sing. And I was supposed to sing somewhere in two weeks from that day. I couldn't say a word. What they said is, oh, that's just the anesthesia. When the anesthesia wears off, you'll be speaking fine. You might be a little raspy, but then you'll be speaking fine. So I had a two-week appointment with the doctor and um, still couldn't talk in the two weeks. I was like, there's a lot of anesthesia. I get to the doctor's office for the follow-up and he says, why can't you talk? And by that time, I have a whiteboard and a marker. And I wrote down, you tell me. So he's flipping through these papers, flip, 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 flip. Oh, yeah, let's see. Oh, yeah, we have some complications. And yeah, oh, yeah, and we damaged the nerve, but at least we got the cancer. I said, what? That's how he told me. No regard for my feelings, for how I was. He didn't even acknowledge. He made it so matter of fact 
that, oh, yeah, at least we got the cancer. You need to go see Dr. B so you can get radiation. I'm like, what the hell? I thought I was walking in to find out, like, what I could take or he's going to suggest therapy or something. And, yeah, it was, like, one of the biggest shocks of my life. So when I get to the other doctor that he suggests that I go to, he said, um, why are you here? And I'm writing all this stuff on this board. And that doctor, I'd never seen his face look like that. I'd, I'd seen him for a couple years by this time. I said, Dr. K told me to come here to get radiation. And he said, I won't give it to you. And I said, but he said that I have cancer and I, I need to get on this right away. He said, I refuse to give it to you. And he said, um, you're a very young woman, and this would ruin your chance of you having more children. He said, I'm going to leave something for you at the desk, and um, you do whatever you need to do with it. So what he left me was the operative report. And I read through it, and it all said, inconclusive, there was no cancer. So from my point of view, he lied. He lied to save his error. Because remember, he said he's never injured anybody. So what was going through your mind when he showed you those reports? Um, so many emotions. Oh, my gosh. I eventually got mad, but I didn't start off mad. I just started blaming myself, really, because I knew better. That's what I kept saying. You knew better. You knew better. You should have followed your gut. You shouldn't have let him persuade you into doing that. You know how you go through like five stages of grief? I definitely went through all of those stages and it took a while for me to um, be able to sing again, but even longer for me to develop my confidence that my voice wasn't going to fail me. Because like I told you in the crib, I've always had my voice. I didn't know what it was like not to have it. But there's always something good that comes out of situations like that. So as I was telling you, I prayed about it and asked for my voice back. And I was led to different people to help me on my journey. That Dorothy experience I was talking about, I met this chiropractor who I learned so much from. And um, he showed me a lot of things to help me with my own healing. And when he first saw me, he said, why don't you love yourself? Why are you upset with yourself? And I said, "Um, oh, no, I love myself. And he said, "Okay, well, I can't let you leave here the way you came in. And we got through a lot of the blame that I was feeling, blaming myself for getting into the situation. I took full responsibility where this doctor took none. And um, I own my part. (laughs) So I had to do the work. I couldn't wait for anybody else to apologize or to do anything else. I wanted my voice back. So I was willing to do the work and do what was necessary. And working with him, I learned a lot of emotional freedom techniques. And that's truly when I realized the effect of um, emotions on the physical body. So in my own journey, I also learned that there's a lot of different type of energetic medicine that works very well for these type of situations. I started trying homeopathy to restore my voice. And little by little, it was just like one little, like that type of sound. Because everything I made was very, very low like this. I couldn't do anything past that. If you think of um, a rubber band, if you have a rubber band and it's a really thick rubber band and you pluck it, 
like on a low note on a guitar, you might get that low E or something. And if you pull the rubber band really wide apart and you try to pluck it, you know, it's stretched out a little bit and it's higher. So my rubber band was not stretching. I didn't have any agility. So um, homeopathy became my friend. I started getting my voice back little by little. And then I got to a point where I was like, okay, I can sing. But I, I didn't have the same quality, texture, anything like that. I couldn't do the same thing. So um, I just figured, hey, maybe this is the best that I can get. Because that doctor told me I probably would never sing again. And if I did, I'd be a tenor. So the fact that I'm talking to you now, and I, I do have my full ability back, I know that that whole journey was for my highest good. I don't, I trust me, I asked God, I said, was there not any other way? He was like, there are so many nuggets along that journey that you would have missed had we left anything out of that process. So I don't have any bitterness. I've worked all of that out. I don't have any anger toward the situation. I'm actually very grateful for it. I'm grateful for it all. I mean, you can't sing, so I'm assuming that put your whole career on hold until you got your voice back. So what happened career-wise? Well, while I was learning how to talk, nothing was happening with my career at all. I was kind of depressed, I believe. I can say that, honestly. Once I started getting my voice back and I was able to, to squeak out a little bit, you know, a little bit of melody, it wasn't good. But I could squeak a little bit out. I could start writing again. And I was writing for male artists because my voice was low. I could do that type of sound very easily. That was one of the the blessings, you can say, that came out of. I was able to develop my writing ability more for men. The second thing that was going on with my career is since I couldn't sing from my throat, I didn't know that I was doing it at the time, but I really learned how to sing from my heart. It was a very easy thing for me to do, like singing. I, I didn't really think about it. I just did it. But not being able to use my voice forced me to use my heart because it was like my heart was exploding, like, like just will myself. Like, I know if I just will it, I could sing and nothing. No matter what I did, I would just, <clears throat> but I started feeling more of a heart connection in the music. So that was a, another gift. It came out of the experience. And I think what I was feeling is that there were a lot of gifts that came out of the experience. It's not the way that I would have gone. It's not the way I would have chosen. Had it been my choice, I would not have gone that path and I would have missed out on a whole lot. So I don't feel any bitterness or any regrets. I don't even feel the self-blame that I felt anymore. I just feel grateful. I'm more in a place of gratitude, like, oh, wow. Look what you accomplished. And to go from a doctor telling you, you'll probably have to use a little voice amplifier because your voice won't be strong enough for people to hear you. And if you do get your singing voice back, you'll probably be more like a tenor. He was wrong. He was wrong. My thoughts about myself and what my life are were definitely different than his. And I'm glad I didn't buy his opinion or his thought because look where I am. I've recorded <laughs> so many songs since that time. I used to get a lot of vocal fatigue because um, I didn't have the endurance that I had before and that I didn't have the agility. So recording one or two songs, then I need to take a break. I just recorded 12 songs past November and they sound good. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They, they sound really good. I'm really proud of myself. 
And I put myself out there a little bit more in writing, too, because of that heart connection. I was able to be a little bit more honest about what I was feeling because I am a optimist through and through. It does not matter what is happening. I will find the gold, the rainbow, the sunshine in it. And that's important. But it's also important to acknowledge how you're feeling in that space. Like, what is this feeling? Own it. Feel it. Experience it. Because then you don't have to come back to it if you don't want to. But if you just put a nice little drape over it or a rug and you just prance along like, you know what? I'm just going to raise my vibration. And you should. But if you don't acknowledge the feeling, it's like disregarding yourself. And that's how I felt. I felt disregarded. So I changed that. And that was something else that came out of the experience. I started owning my feelings and being honest about the way I was feeling. So here, I've named three things that have already been gifts because I'm the optimist still. <laughs> but but it, but it's the truth, though, you know. And the way that we get to ourselves doesn't always come the way that we think we're going to see it. It doesn't. It's always wrapped differently. It's always obscure. And but it's rich. It's very rich. I have a very rich life. And um, as a result of me finding a way to heal myself, along with the momentum of our Divine Father, of course, I'm able to do that for other people now. And um, that, that's a fulfilling life. It's very fulfilling. And that's my next question. Like, how did you going through all this influence what you have going on today and mentioned written 12 songs? What are we seeing from you next? Well. The songs that I wrote last year, a lot of them had to do with the quarantine. And I'll come back to the songs and I'll tell you about that. But as far as how I'm able to help people today, I mentioned before that this process, the physical part was one thing, like not having your voice is one thing. But when you get your voice back, even though you might sound like you used to sound, something's different. You're confident. Like, is this going to work? Because last time I tried it, it didn't work or I couldn't continue to um, do what I did before, you know? So it, it left a lot of doubt and a lot of insecurity. And I had to work through those emotions. And that's when I was saying I was going through the different stages of grief and um, working through that. And it, it wasn't a year-long process, let me tell you. It was more like a 10-year process, letting a little bit go every day, every year, every month, until I got to a place where I am now. As far as the songs go, I write from the perspective of my own experience or the experience of the people that I do life with, you know? So I'm hoping that these songs, and I've gotten feedback on one of them because I released some of them, and people are, they understand what I'm, where I'm coming from. I'm able to, to write songs differently than I did when I was first starting out. I, I could write a melody. I can put the lyrics together. It rhymed where it needed to. And, you know, I'm, I was able to get by. But this, this is a little richer. It's a little deeper. And if you listen closely, you'll hear the message. So I write from a perspective of, let me write for the easy listener to hear the message. And if you really sit with the lyrics, you might hear something else. And your interpretation of the song might be something else, but it's for you. Like what I wrote is for me and what you hear is for you. We're all exactly where we need to be. And um, sometimes we get that confirmation from the contrast and the rough places in our life, you know, 
because now I'm very grateful for that. I am a stronger, wiser, even more gifted. My spiritual gifts increased like crazy. And um, it has afforded me the opportunity to have sessions with <laughs> over 50 people. I, I had 100 sessions of like energy work and working through emotions last year during 2020. And I still have clients that I see today. It kind of grew a business that I didn't even know was brewing. So if you don't know, I'm also called the Bioenergy Babe. That's my energy business and all of that stuff I was kind of talking about before. Are we going to hear an album from you coming soon? Well, (laughs) so here's a funny thing. I told you I had two major deals. I'm in negotiation for a deal right now from a label overseas in in Britain. And I was waiting for them to send me the contract. We had a couple meetings over the quarantine and talked over Zoom and we really hit it off. And then I got an offer for my own label from another company. So um, what is yours is yours. It doesn't matter how old, how young you are. It will always find you. So yes, you will hear another album from me. And for my other artists that I have on the label. I love that. So how can we follow you and keep up with what you have going on? I know J Official is my handle. So it's just I-N-O-J Official. YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. You can find me at that same handle. If you are looking for new music, you can follow me on Spotify. Same I know J Official. I release music. When I feel like it, I don't always do a campaign. So if you follow me, you'll see it. And you can peruse what's up there. I released a song this year called Over You on 2221. And um, yeah, check it out. It's a slow song. It's a vibe. Because I'm in a vibe place right now. So I hope you feel the vibe. (laughs) And if you want to connect with me another way, then you can do so via the bioenergy babe. I've never combine the two worlds together. So let me tell you, that feels weird to me, right? I don't want I don't want somebody coming on there and I'm thinking like, okay, let's see what we need to work through after they fill out my my intake form and and they're like, hey I don't Jay. I'm like, no, don't do that. Let's keep those worlds separate. <laughs> <laughs> that would feel weird because I, like I told you, I get really shy and then I'm I'm closing that Zoom window. We're not gonna be talking. <laughs> so I love what I do and I am trying to bridge the gap between the two. So that's another thing I was saying in my music. It's more healing. So um, I just have to find how it works for me. But both of them, singing and all types of different healing work, that's just, those are my spiritual gifts. And I don't want to forsake one for the other. I want them to be able to play together. I love to play. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Yanni, thank you for letting me interview you. Um, I look forward to hearing those projects that you have coming up. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. Namaste to you all. You're listening to You Talk, I'll Listen, hosted by Shannon Chapman. I listened and here's what I heard. It's time for the mic drop, y'all.
When your voice is such an important part of what you do every day, and all of a sudden you can't even talk, that's scary. Being a singer was Yanni's dream come true, and a cancer scare turned into a medical nightmare. I could relate to her as she talked about blaming herself for what happened. I do the same thing in many situations. As human beings, we often do blame ourselves for terrifying outcomes when we had a gut feeling about something and we ignored it. Though I think we have that gut feeling for a reason, I think there's probably a reason we ignored it as well. Yanni realizes that she went through what she did for a reason. She became who she is today because of it. She's a better singer and songwriter because of it. She has found her other gifts and talents because of it. On the outside looking in, we can clearly see that this was not her fault. She was simply following medical guidance from a doctor and medical expert she thought that she could trust. There were no ramifications for that doctor lying about the cancer diagnosis and complications during surgery. But Yanni seems at peace with what happened. She might even be living her best life right now. She's got a new record label and new music in the works. She's not dwelling on the past. She's embracing the future. Her story is the epitome of forgiveness is for you, boo. We made it. Two seasons are in the books. If you're new to Utah, there are 19 more episodes you can binge on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you hear, be sure to leave us a great review. The support from you guys has truly been amazing. I hope you will join me for season three in a few months. Until then, there's always social media. Grace and blessings.